Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pushing the Envelope, where all manner of fringe topics are covered from a purely biblical perspective. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. It's good to be with you tonight. We are your hosts, Brian Ingram and Aaron and Matthew Miller. It's good to be with you. Tonight, we're going to seriously push the envelope tonight with a particular biblical topic. The resurrection of the Assyrian false prophet. That's going to make you pause. That's going to stop you dead in your tracks because you'd never heard that before. You've always heard, of course, that there is going to be an Antichrist, which there's not, and that this Antichrist is going to uh, uh, receive a fatal wound and be resurrected via the entertainment industry. However, uh, my son has been taking a look at... Daniel chapter 11, and you have to put this into context, ladies and gentlemen. You have to remember that in the Hebrew Masoretic text, the jots and tittles do not count. You have to remove the cantillation marks. Now, you can further prove that the Masoretic text is correct because of the Hebrew glosses. I disagree with that etymology of using that term glosses. That's not really what it is. When the Masoretes seen a word they didn't understand, they would put in parentheses the word that they would use so that they would have a coherent body across the planet whenever reading uh, either the Torah or the Tanakh. They would all be reading and pronouncing the same thing. However, they have known, they have always known, no one knows how to pronounce the Hebrew. It just kept them on the same page. And it worked quite effectively. However, all of the Hebrew scholars on this planet will tell you that the most reasonable assumption, that the closest you can come to pronouncing Hebrew is, of course, the Samaritans. This is common knowledge, but last I checked, there were fewer than a thousand Samaritans left, so that's really pushing uh, the numbers there. So now that we have some clarification, you have to understand that you can take the Hebrew. You can take one verse, and whether you believe it or not, you can come up with four, five, even six different translations because... Once you take out the jots and tittles, it eliminates your Strong's numbering system because Brian and I have been preaching from the rooftops for some time now. Just go to the Strong's and move up and down in the numbering system. You'll see the exact same word with different definitions, those definitions separated by those cantillation marks. Remove them. They're not supposed to be there. This is the sole rhyme and reason as to why the authorized New Testament Hebrew 
which is the Delitz translation, he never put them in there. So, with that in mind, let's, uh, before we get rolling here, uh, we're going to give opening comments. Brian, after taking a look at this, what's your initial uh, thoughts on this topic before we get into it? Well, this is sort of one of those where I'm going to need to sit back and listen before I give a little bit more input. Um, we already spoke about this a little bit privately. I have to understand the fullness of what you guys are getting at before I pretty much interject. So I'll leave it as that for the time being. Very good. Very good. Um, I immediately see some points of contention myself. That's irrelevant. Uh, we all have that with any verse that might be presented to us. We all might have different takes on it. But right off the bat, I am naturally wanting to oppose this just simply because of the simple fact that the entertainment industry is so heavily involved. I can't think of this topic without immediately thinking of the Antichrist. He, he gets uh, shot by with some gun that's special for some reason and he dies and then comes back to life and then we everybody's lit, left on this cliffhanger into the next book or into the next movie so my gut is wanting to just reject it outright however I was caught by complete surprise when I come home from work yesterday and my son started telling me about this alternate translation from the Hebrew. So, Aaron, jump on here. Give your opening comments. Why were you even looking at this? Uh, what got you to thinking down this path, or did you just start retranslating it, and this is what you ran into? Well, it's kind of like both. I was, um, I was taking this from a different perspective. I was researching it for my own reasons, and um, but, uh, so I was going verse for verse trying to figure out who this, uh, false prophet is and what he's going to do. And, uh, I just considered everything I had and was trying to understand how Genesis chapter, I mean, Daniel chapter 11 is talking about the end times. How can I put the, um, how can the prophecies of Revelation be present there? And um, I found some striking discoveries, um, which which are very important to put out there. Um, well, begin. Go ahead. Well, I agree with that. So you just sat down to hammer it out. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, this is much like uh, well, taking it, writing it upon thy heart with a, the iron stylus if anybody knows anything about the book of Job. That I agree with. I mean, that's how I come to grips with every verse that I currently know. Uh, you just set down free from restraint, free from preconceived notions, and just hammer it out. So, interesting thought process you got there. Go ahead. So, um, I would already been thinking on the lines if this... Assyrian false prophet is um, was supposed to be is in, is supposed to be an inversion of Christ because when I came to 
dad about this is that I'm that I asked him, um, does the false prophet think that Azazel is the Messiah? And he said, and uh, he said that the false prophet is supposed to be Azazel's Messiah, and Azazel um, mimics the father, um, a false father. So um, that's kind of what sent me down that track. And um, you already gave the disclaimer about the Antichrist and all that. And um, But not only has the scriptures given mention to uh, the Antichrist, but also the false Christ, the pseudo-Christ in uh, uh, pseudo Christos um, that is um, mentioned in the Gospels, and um, yeah, that's open to a lot of uh, debate. But if we go to the root word of Antichrist, it means absolute opposite of Christ. Anti means just not the absolute of not or opposition of, um, and a false means is is to say, uh, to take, to look as one, but absolutely not. Um, and so it, with this sort of process and looking at looking at it this way, um, I considered uh, uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, and I already knew this was here. And um, I did hear this, um, I mean, it's hard for stuff from the entertainment industry from coming around and I heard about it and but I'm not just I'm I mean I'm past just not listening to something just because this is what everybody's saying I I consider everything that anybody says whether I I agree with it or not because when it comes right down to it truth is truth and you gotta swallow it so um that's why I, I as they talked about, was hammering these things out. I'm not going to uh, say I go to either side until I've completely studied it. And uh, so here I go um, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 3. And it says, And I saw one of the, his heads, the heads of the beast, as it were slain to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wandered after the beast. Now, um, so I thought, is, is this word slain to death the same as uh, the lamb that was slain in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6? It says, um, there stood a lamb as if it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Now, it says that word slain is the same word, okay? But in in chapter 13 verse 3 concerning one of these heads it says a little differently it says slain to death okay um and it literally means to butcher um that word and um that being said I um was hammering out uh, Daniel chapter 11 and considering everything it said okay and I was struggling so much with different translations. I had like like three English translations, and I was trying to go back and forth with the Septuagint and the Hebrew text, trying to understand how to translate it. And there's a huge struggle there, people going around in circles. And um, I basically just had to stop and translate it myself. 
but it's ma mostly based on the King James translation. I just edited a few words um, to help us to outline things. Okay, um, and uh, I didn't. I mean, with the Hebrew text, it is very vague. It's a very vague language, um, as opposed to Greek, which is very exact. Um, so with the Septuagint translation is the only way um, we can even attempt to understand the Hebrew. So with starting Daniel chapter 11, verse 20, 28, it speaks of the king of the north, which is uh, the false prophet in the Assyrian. Then shall he return into his land with great riches, and his heart shall be against the holy covenant, and he shall do exploits and return to his own land. At the time apportioned, he will return and come towards the south, but it will not be as the first and the last. For the Siam of Kittim shall come against him, therefore he shall be depressed, but he will return and have indignation against the holy covenant, so shall he do, and he shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant, and arms shall stand on his part. And they will pollute the holy place of Maos, and shall take the holy sacrifice, and they will place the abomination that makes desolate. Okay. And then the then I'm just going to go ahead and go towards verse 32, and it says, And such as do wickedly against the holy covenant, he shall corrupt by flatteries. Um, so, um, this is my translation because I, I there's uh, no other way to put it because I was struggling back and forth with my notes and stuff so I had to put it together um, but that word in verse 30 uh, I transliterated Siam the Siam of Kittim okay? um, the reason why I transliterated it is because in the book of Isaiah in chap chapters 13 verse 21 and Isaiah 34, verse 14, it is translated as a demon. They are translated demons. And literally it means the ones that are sent. Okay. And if I um, read, I'll, I'll um, read Isaiah chapter 34, verse 14. And the seam of the desert shall meet, and the and the eam and the, and the satyr shall cry to his fellow, and the screech owl shall rest there. Um, wow. I, I should make a complete translation of that verse, too. But um, here we see that Siam of the desert, um, they are both translated in both these verses as demonic entities that um, dwell in the ruins of, well, between these verses, it is either Babylon or Sodom and Gomorrah, or both. So, um, with all that considered, I don't know how you guys want to interpret this word, but it is translated by the Septuagint as either two ways. The sent ones, or demons. And I think it's a little bit of both. And as we can see in... Um, these first verses um, of the ones that I mentioned, uh, I just read Daniel chapter 11, verses 28 to 32. Um, but it mentions that he will go, the Assyrian will go towards 
the south. And then we'll, um, when he goes towards that, it says, But it will not be as the first and last, for the Tzim of Kittim shall come against him, and therefore he shall be depressed. So, um, he doesn't see it coming. That's just what I'm seeing here. He intends to go towards the south, but instead these Tzim of Kittim uh, come at him, and uh, something expected unexpectedly happens. Um, that, so it says, therefore he shall be depressed. Um, that word in Hebrew is H3512. And I'll bring that up. <clears throat> it means to uh, deject or to bring down, literally. Um, and uh, if we were to interpret this way, could it be as to say he is drugged down to the lower parts of the earth, to Hades? And um, just, just in that point of view, in that perspective, follow along. Okay? The Tzim of Kedem shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be depressed, but will return with indignation against the Holy Covenant, so shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. Let me ask you a few questions right off the bat. Now, that word you're referring to can also mean broken, but I take it that you're alluding that these are assassins, perhaps? Yeah, some forces of darkness that are sent against him. So you're making allusions to what the Bible talks about whenever a particular entity, uh, when questioned by the Lord, says that he will go be a deceiving spirit. You're saying this is the type of setup. This is a demonic entity that – or entities because it is plural – that are sent out from this place to either – bring him down physically or to break him down with lying in deceit or to even break him down emotionally, correct? That's that's where you're coming at this from? Or physically broken down. Right. Assassinate. Right. Assassins. You're saying basically <clears throat> now there's different types of assassins. Okay? There's Character assassins, we all know about that, that these particular entities, although it could be talking about bringing him down by way of death, assassinating him, they could also be targeting his uh, emotions. They bring him down, uh, they discourage him, whatever. So there's different types of assassins, but that's really what we're talking about. It is a type of assassin, no matter what their... Uh, they're sent for whether to you know give him false information because that's alluded to here uh, that uh, he has intelligence so it could be inferred that they are offering him false information I don't know but well um, if you read my notes that I made over this text you, you can see where I began I really started wondering by verse 29 and it said it, the 
At the time appointed, he shall return and come towards the south. But it shall not be as the first and the last. It literally says the first and the last. Okay. Well, <clears throat> what do you mean by that? Well, I was trying – exactly. I was trying to understand what that meant. Okay. Because exactly what words in the Hebrew and or the Greek does it say? Does it say Alpha and Omega in Greek? Does it say – you know? What words are you taking that translation from? That, that That's what I'm trying to ask you. Um, well, literally, this is from both the Hebrew and the Greek, both. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have seen it in the Hebrew unless if the Greeks hadn't given it to me. Um, I, I could go down into where these, these words come from, and um, that goes towards a different study. Um, I think it should – I think – Yes, we should go towards that. I need to know what Greek words you use then. Was it the word alpha and omega, or was it the word first and the last? What? Answer my question directly. I, I'm not I'm not sure. What, it is not alpha and omega. If that's what you're getting at, because I because I know what the but we we're all going towards that verse, and it says in Revelation. I don't have it up. It says. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. That is Christ referring to himself. And I'm not debating with that. So the Hebrew word here, um, I'm looking at your translation. You stated in the translation that it's H7223. So you're using something, correct? Yes. Okay, What what is that word? What is H7223? That... Uh, the first is Prashon. That means in the first place. Okay, very um, good. And what about the second one? The second one is uh, H314, which is um, Ar Arcaron, um, the last. Which means the last in order. Okay, well, very good. Now, I understand you're uh, not an adult yet, but you need to be willing to be put to the test. Okay, when I ask you a direct question, you answer me directly. And when Brian asks you a question, Brian's not trying to be mean. We're not trying to be mean, but you need to remember that the person listening is not looking at the document that I and Brian possess. So when I ask you a direct question, I need to know the Strong's number, whether it be... Hebrew or Greek, just, just tell us the number so they can stop it, rewind, write it down, and look it up. This is very interesting that you come up with this translation as the first and the last, because I need to interject something here. You mentioned the etymology of, well, antichristos. Let us remember that, yes, that is a prefix word, but in Greek, let's not fail to mention this, Aaron, that a simple alpha will do. You take an alpha, ladies and gentlemen, you attach it as a prefix to any word, and it immediately means anti. Now, you're not going to be able to see that in the Strong's. They're not going to come out and tell you, but that plays into, of course, the Greek text where it comes out and uses just the letters. So this is very important what Aaron is referring to. But that's the first thing 
that I see whenever I read that, the first and the last, why would it state that? So please explain yourself as to why you use the first and the last, Aaron. Well, as I just mentioned, that's what the Greek gave me. And uh, it's pretty clear. I mean, as the Hebrew can be as vague as it is, the uh, Greek is hard to dispute. Um, so um, I just opened up um, uh, Revelation chapter um, 1, verse 11. It says, uh, where Christ says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Um, so with that given, I go back to Daniel chapter 11, verses 20, verse 29, and the Septuagint, the same words, okay? Um, just let me uh, begin with that, okay? And that those two words are um, the first um, mentioned here. The word first is protos. The last is eschatos. Um, and that's also present in Daniel chapter 11, verse 29. And where I'm going with that is, is that that saying really struck me, okay? Because it literally, literally means the first and the last. And, I mean, what really started getting me was, like, the first and last are being taught, spoken as, as something happened before. So timeline sounded really weird. So if I were to consider that, if it says the first and the last, as in speaking about Christ, that gave me a different perspective, um, a different way to look at it. And it says, um, at the time of portions, he shall return and come towards the south. But it will not be as the first and the last. For the Seam of Kidden will come against him. Therefore, he will be broken. Um, so, he is assassinated or attacked. Okay, But he will return and have indignation against the Holy Covenant. So, um, let's consider what Christ did when he died and was resurrected. He did so for our sins, and he did so to conquer death. But here... This false Christ is killed because, well, he literally gets assassinated or attacked. And instead of coming uh, um, to save the people, he comes in indignation and rage against the Holy Covenant. And in that Hebrew word, uh, H2194, for indignation, it literally means to rave and foam at the mouth. Um, and it says... So shall he do, and will return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. So let's consider, what if, when the bottomless pit is opened, he rises out and brings the multitude of Azazel's army with him? And these be the intelligence that forsake the Holy Covenant. So with that, with that thought in mind, I continue on. And arms shall stand on his part. And they will pollute the holy place of Maals. And they will take away the daily sacrifice. And they will place the abomination that makes desolate. So it goes chron chronologically with what I'm talking about. Well, let's bring some clarity to this. What are you saying is the holy place of Maals? I'm not even sure. I, I'm not even sure. But literally, um, Maals is 
bears the name Az, which is from, which is also present, and the name is Azel. So I don't know how. Um, well, I do. I know exactly uh, what it's saying. But anyway, let's let's pause. Let's not go any further. Let me get this correct. You're saying that Christ. This plays into the reason why Christ didn't argue with anybody. It says that uh, you know they they question him and he just remained silent, and he went to his sacrifice willingly. You're saying in this in this context, this translation which you have provided, you're saying that this is saying he does the exact opposite as Christ. He doesn't do so willingly nor silently. He well has this indignation, this raving. He goes stark mad, you know, stark raving mad. He loses his temper so badly. Is that what you're inferring? Just for clarity. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Well, I think it's time for Brian to weigh in thus far because so far the 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 premises have been interesting. Um I'm not countering them at all right now. I'm just learning what you're trying to say. Uh but so far uh that's the conclusion I come to that uh, these assassins are sent against the Assyrian false prophet to either confuse him or to uh, give him false intelligence to thwart his plans or literally to assassinate him. When this happens, he is not like Christ. He doesn't willingly do it, nor does he do so silently. He loses, loses his temper and storms out in a rage. That is the premise I've got from you so far. Let's get Brian's take on what he's heard so far. Well, the main thing that strikes me as interesting is what you bring up here in Daniel 11, verse 30, with that, uh, well, I guess it's technically the third word in the Hebrew, that word, uh, zeum, because I did do a search for that, and good grief, yes, this is the only time um, Daniel 11 verse 30 is the only time where they're translating that as ships when it's clearly a different word because you've got this coming up in Psalm 72 verse 9, let them that dwell in the wilderness bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust. Psalm 74 verse 14 is real interesting when you cross, uh, reference that with the same idea going on there in Revelation 13. Thou did, didst crush the heads of Leviathan. Thou gavest him food to the folk inhabiting the wilderness. And then, uh, let's see here. You've covered those for the most part. Um, Isaiah 23, verse 13, says something very peculiar. Behold the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people that was not. When Asher founded it for shipmen, they set up their towers. They overthrew the palaces thereof. It is made a ruin. And I'm reading from the Tanakh uh, 1917 version right now. Um, I haven't checked to see what the other translations are putting that as. But Isaiah 34, 14 repeats that same idea again. And once again, we have this... Uh, Jeremiah 50, verse 39, with that same concept with these uh, demonic entities. Now, 
what I find interesting is you bring up um, assassins in relation with this concept. And, okay, let's draw back a little bit in history here. Let's talk about the assassins or the order of assassins known as the Hashishim, who are a sect of Ismali. Um, it's a branch of Islam where they it's a real um, metaphysical branch of Islam. And that's where the um, ancient order of assassins came from back in the Middle Ages. Now, there was a fictitious description of them, but if you know anything about this order of assassins, you kind of have to come to this conclusion uh, to give a historical understanding of them. These assassins, one man could bring down an entire nation. He would walk into a kingdom and assassinate a leader and it would be done and over with. Now, people had often wondered how in the world they could do this. And there was, like I said, this was a fictitious um, reference that was made to them in the um, Netflix series of Marco Polo, because obviously a lot of the information that's come along through the Western understanding of these people came from the descriptions that he gave in his book. And he's having this discourse with the cons, and they stated that they were enshrouded in darkness that they were overtaken by the demons which they served. Now, let's think back just a little bit here within modern history to when uh, Turkey had their attempted coup that was connected with uh, Gulen because he kept stating over and over and over again that the assassins were out to get him. And this is something he was stating time and time again for a couple of years leading up to this point. And then, you know, many people in the United States have gotten used to that term deep state, yet they have no idea that the actual term itself comes from Turkey. And literally it does trace to events that were taking place during World War I when certain groups began working to essentially take over that governing body in Turkey they started working in the different esoteric lodges, namely the Freemason lodges as one of the places they were holding their meetings. So this whole thing has got history that ties in there and goes back further. But bringing this, this re-looking at this translation of Daniel 1130, this just completely changes the playing field. It says something there in the Hebrew that is absolutely different than what our English translations are giving us. And that, just that little piece alone just catches me completely off guard. So you're agreeing with the reference here in Second Chronicles chapter 18. I shall read it. Again he said, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right, and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall entice Ahab king of Israel that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one spake, saying, After this manner, and another after that manner. Then there came out a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. 
And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. So, Brian, you're you're saying that this is lining up with this particular situation. And, and another thing I want to direct your you, both of your attention to, I've never spoke with Brian about this privately, nor my son. Let me point this out really quick. Let me go back up. I quote, And all the host of heaven, standing on his right and on his left. Then, I want you to concentrate on this. Verse 20. Then there came out a spirit. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to like it. This spirit is never mentioned as a host, and it certainly is not standing on his right or on his left as the proper rank and file. But none of you caught that before, did you? So, with that in mind, uh, that's a pretty good take from the bride that this really is making us raise our eyebrows. So, Aaron, uh, good stuff so far. Um but uh, let's get back to verse 31. Uh, we needed to take a break there because we should have stopped at the verse before that so Brian could weigh in on that. But you kind of didn't allow for a break. So Aaron, let's get back to 31 and uh, I shall quote your translation. And arms shall stand on his part and they shall pollute the holy place of Moaz, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that makes desolate. Explanation for that verse, Aaron. The arms. Um, I think if this intelligence that forsake the holy covenant are Azazel's angels that come out with him from the abyss, when he so-called resurrects, these arms will stand on his part. They will stand with him. And together, they will pollute the holy place of Maos. And they will take away the daily sacrifice. And guess what they do? They place the abomination that makes desolate in there. And the abomination that makes de desolate would be Azazel himself, in which is called the beast from the sea, and also the beast from the abyss in the book of Revelation. Um, with the okay, <clears throat> context... Just, now, wait a minute. Just for clarity here. So you're saying that it is the beast, when he when it gets out of the abyss, is what is resurrected. That's that's what you're saying? Not the false prophet is resurrected? Um, that's, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying um, when the false prophet is resurrected and comes out from the abyss, he will bring with him these hordes, and they will be on his part. They will be with him. And even um, as you go to um, the last verses of this chapter, it talks about how um, he will raise himself above all gods. Okay? So that's saying he even raises himself over those hosts and compares himself even to this Azazel, so, um, literally, these angels 
are going to be with him. Okay? I Working see. with him directly. I, I see. mean, so, and... All right. I've got a question, so when I start speaking, you need to stop. So... What you're saying is you're coming at this from Revelation 13th chapter and verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Now, you're saying that's his resurrection. You're saying he's coming up out of the earth. He's coming out of Sheol. Then we put the second part to that because then it's made reference to the first and the last. Let me finish the verse. And he had two horns like a lamb. And he spake as a dragon. Which is exactly what you described. Now, <clears throat> it's a different way for me to look at this. I've never looked at it this way before. I'm just bringing out clarity. So you are saying that this verse is perfectly describing what you just said. Because, well, that's why this is mentioned. A lamb. We know who the lamb is. There's only one lamb. Yet here, this false prophet, he comes up out of the earth. And you're saying he comes up out of his grave. When he does, he does not speak like a lamb. He speaks like what? It says here a dragon. And you're saying that with this translation, it outright is aligning with this single verse. Because as you said, unlike Jesus, he gets in, well, he goes stark raving mad in his anger. So clarity is is that is that what you're inferring? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, well, let's let's take a second, uh, Brian. Your thoughts on what Aaron is saying lined up with Revelation chapter thirteen and verse eleven, please. Well, be verse thirty-one. That, all right. Well. In that previous verse, we did have something that did line up, like I brought up with the Leviathan aspect. Um, it was just something you guys were saying I was just looking into right now. Because the description, like you just brought up, 13 verse 11, that's the first thing that came to my mind. He had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. So that was initially the very thing that... Um, my mind immediately went to him. We've talked about privately, for instance, uh, if you look at those uh, helmets of Alexander the Great, well, he wears a helmet that's this exact description. It has two horns like a lamb on it. Well, yes, we've spoke about that many times, but then when you put it up with what Aaron said and opened the first verse, and Brian, you and I have never looked at this this way before. I, I mean, let's just read it. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. That really could be. There's no reason for us to lie about it or try to cover it up that we never saw it before. That could be an illicit reference to him coming out of the grave, could it not? It is possible. Now, I want something I want to point out um, to how does he resurrected, Okay. Because that's where my mind went. Um, and um, how does Christ describe how he was resurrected? This is what he said in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of Hades and of death. 
Okay, this is how God gave him, his son, the keys to Hades and death. This is the underworld. But there's another key talked about in the book of Revelation. Do you see where I'm going? Oh, I see where you're going, but I don't know. You're probably treading on dangerous ground with Brian and I, but you might as well go ahead. I mean, well, this this is what you do with God's Word. I mean, we just have to swallow it. So go ahead and uh, go ahead and go where you're going to go. But if you get resistance, uh, don't be surprised. But go ahead. Okay. Revelation chapter nine verse one and the. Fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Okay? So if if we consider that the this key is how he gets up out of the abyss, um we were we all kept we're all going in circles about this star from heaven. Okay, it says that this star fell from heaven. The stars um, and we we know from uh, Revelation chapter 12 that Satan drew a third of the stars from heaven down to the earth. And um, the angels of Satan um, were cast out because there was not a place around for them in heaven. Now, um, if it, just with that, just that concept, okay, so it's this angel bearing this key, not directly uh, the Assyrian. So... I go straight to Daniel chapter 8, verse 10. And he waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the stars to the earth and stamped down on them. And verse 12. And the host was given against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. All right, just stop for a minute and mute your mic. Okay. Because I know you, Aaron, and you're going to attempt to start arguing with me. That is not a wise course of action. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's let's take a deep breath. I myself immediately become angered, and I'm sure Brian did as well. Because my son just inferred that Jesus Christ does not have the key to the abyss. He was only given the keys to death and Hades. Let's put that on the shelf. Let's... Put that in a box for a minute and regain our composure, okay? That is not what my son said. My son was going with the facts of the matter. Jesus really did say he was given the keys to two things, just like those two horns that Brian pointed out was on the helmets of Alexander the Great. But we also need to point out that those two horns very well could be a direct reference to the two angels that accompanied Christ at his resurrection. So, we have a multitude of inferences here. You have uh, two keys, death and Hades, and you have two angels in the tomb that spoke with his disciples. That being the case, let's all take a deep breath. We also need to understand that I brought up uh, the simple fact of Aaron's translation of Daniel chapter 11:31, and I mentioned Moaz, and I have already stated that I knew exactly what he was talking about. So, no reason for my son to get defensive about that. We're just discussing the facts here. 
But, of course, Brian would have immediately called to attention that, now, hold on a minute. Jesus is the Son of the living God. He can do whatever he wants to. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that the Bible is giving us a series of facts, and that is the fact of the matter. That this star, whether it be an entity or an object, at this point is irrelevant. We're saying that's just what the Bible states. But once we get into verse 31, I assure you, I will make it perfectly clear and actually, Brian and I already have, in a very recent Celestial Somology broadcast. But my son is unaware of that broadcast. He has not listened to it. I did not even share it with him, so he does not know it exists. But we understand that right now he's wanting to uh, defend himself about this star. No reason to do so. But these are some facts that are on the table Let's get Brian's comments on the simple fact that if this be true, if this is the reason why it says this beast comes out of the earth is because he's, well, resurrected at the event when the abyss is opened up, and that's how he's resurrected. Um, off the charts. Brian, your thoughts? Well, there's a few different things, I guess, that come to mind. Um one pertaining to the fact of, as we've sat back and watched events play out over the course of the last few years here, you get the impression the Assyrian is most likely already at play. So that it gives me a little bit of pause in this whole um, aspect, and if him being uh, wounded applies to the false prophet himself, then... You know, this could be an event that either A, has transpired since we saw these events play out, or B, is a future event. That is a possibility. Um, I disagree. Also in here, go ahead. I disagree. Absolutely, I disagree. Um, it was you who shared with us the video clip of this interview with this person that the terrorists themselves had no idea who he was. How do you know he wasn't killed whenever um, we decided to uh, drop a bomb on one of those weddings? Or even a hospital or a school for that matter, Brian. He could well, have literally... I stated that. <laughs> oh, okay, well... I stated which has either transpired since then or could be a future event. Oh, okay, all right. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Go Not ahead. a problem. It's just... um. It's a possibility because we did see one strange reference when I was trying to trace down who in the world that figure was. There was a claim that um, this man that was acting as the emir was what? Beheaded. We kept that on the back burner and never said anything to anyone about that. Oh, my goodness. We didn't, did we? Uh, oh, my goodness. We we didn't share that, did we? Uh, and you just did. Whew. That makes me take pause. Go ahead, Brian. Uh, finish your thoughts. But, I mean, one thing, other thing I was going to bring up here, too, is as far as heads and horns, you know, because we get the indications through, you know, things being relayed back to, for instance, Daniel in the book of Revelation, where it's translated, you're told what a head represents and what a horn represents, and... 99.9% .9 of the time, 
a head represents one of the angelic hosts, whereas a horn represents an earthly king. Well, can I ask you this, Brian? What are you going to call him once... Now, not once. If. If what Aaron is inferring is true, what are you going to call him once he uh, is unleashed from the abyss? And is this how he gets his authority to trample the host of heaven? Uh... You know, I, I look, I'm not trying to stab myself in the back at all. But once you are resurrected, you become something else, don't you? Or are the two of us so blind we couldn't see what was staring us in the face? But do you think that's at play? Well, this is where we come to what you guys discussed in the past on uh, the programs you were doing about the genetics of the false prophet, because what was sort of established in the midst of that, that's why I sent you the private message before the show, are we referring to Asher as the prince over the people? Because if we recall, you guys did some work concerning those genetics and came to some very interesting conclusions that could change the entire gambit of what we're looking at here. So that's why I asked you that question privately. Well, it's all right that you ask me publicly because it doesn't matter to me. You should first and foremost know better than anybody, Bri. That, that's why I call you your your nickname, Bri. That's Hebrew. It means something, and I'm perfectly fine with being wrong. If I get, Even if I prove myself wrong, well, that just means the Bible's right. That's what we do. We don't argue with the Bible. We don't. I, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not here to stand up for what I said before. I'm here to stand up for what the Bible says, both then and now. Now, perhaps it had never occurred to me that uh, this verse was referring to anything else, but it could be, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. I mean... <laughs> You're oh, oh for the Lord have mercy. There is no way a human being can know God's word. It's impossible. You might be able to know even ninety nine percent of it. That would be a phenomenal case because you'd have to know the complete alpha numerical system of both Hebrew and Greek. I don't think there's enough brain cells in any one head for that. But you get my point. Uh, all of us together don't have enough synaptic connections for the true wonder of God's Word. Or that would be akin to looking God in the face, which cannot be done. I mean, if you were to truly know His Word, you would truly know Him. And that ain't going to happen. Not with a mortal, anyway. So, I don't have a problem with that, Brian. If 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 what Aaron and I discussed on a private broadcast um, makes more sense or less sense, that's irrelevant. If it proves or disproves that, that prior broadcast, that's irrelevant. I don't care. I care about the Bible, God's Holy Word. 
And if I didn't understand this particular verse, I'm fine with that. I don't care. And if we need to come out with uh, a part two of that particular broadcast uh, on the cloven that Aaron and I did uh, for an adjustment and an update or a correction, hey, I don't have a problem with it because there's only one who is perfect. Just one. And he's Christ the King. So everybody should expect every Tom, Dick, and Harry to make mistakes at least some of the time. So if that's needed, I, I guess that's what we'll do. But if this is enforcing that show, Brian, that's scary. I mean, if you're saying what we're saying now is backing up what Aaron and I stated before on air, that that's absolutely scary. And you sent me a message about it, and I, you know... Uh, we didn't argue about it. We just kind of put it on the table and let it sit there, and now it's coming to light. So whether that's good or whether that's bad for our reputations is irrelevant. Now, the Lord's reputation, it does not change. So that's kind of startling to me. Well, um, something, I mean... As I just mentioned, him bringing up these hordes with him when he comes out, he says he will come out with indignation against the Holy Covenant. This is, um, if we interpret the Daniel chapter uh, 11, verse 30, um, this way, we can go back towards uh, uh, verse 28, and it says um, that before all this happens, his heart is lifted against the Holy Covenant. So he he already has this Azazel in mind. He was already having this plan. He didn't, He, I guess, he just doesn't expect this happening. And in this way, he comes back with a burning fury. Um, and um, something I want to clarify with the things I was saying before, I was not saying that Christ does not have all the keys to anything in the universe. In fact, what I was trying to show is that this is an inversion, a complete inversion. Whereas Christ bears the keys to Hades and death, the only way Azazel is able to go out is by this key to the bottomless pit. Okay, and the pit is actually a prison for the fallen angels, um, and and Christ Himself bears those keys. But if we read these things about this angel coming down and falling to the earth, um, having the key and opening it opening up the abyss and then we go back to Daniel chapter 8 um, verse uh, 12 where it says that the host is given over to the Assyrian because of their transgression indirectly Asher is already letting himself out because he is already in control at this point over that host that has fallen well, irregardless of that, I'll read the verse. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven into the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. No doubt about it. All three of us are saying, well, you don't have to even say who the one that give that key. It was obviously either the God the Father or God the Son. So... That comes into play here is the one that's not mentioned. He didn't have power over this key. He was given the key. So 
Yeah, just just for clarity, under, I understand what you're saying. I mean, Christ obviously has the power to, you know, hand over this key, which, which Revelation chapter 9, verse 1 plainly says that someone, a higher power, uh, gave this star that fell, the key. But like I said, we're going to get into that in the next verse. But, you know, I'm a little bit on edge myself. And it's obvious that Bry is on the edge of his seat a little bit because, ladies and gentlemen, this is a cloven we're talking about. Let us all just stop and ask ourselves right now. Because, um, you know, this seriously plays into the Bible, God's holy word. All right? Uh, it really does. I mean, we have to come to grips with what the Bible says. All right, let's 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 talk about this. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 19. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing. Ladies and gentlemen, if this is a cloven, what makes you think he? they're in Hades? They're not mentioned here in this verse. This is overtly and obviously speaking about human spirits. It does not say anywhere in this verse or the accompanying verses that Jesus went into Hades and preached to the demons. No, 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 no. That being the case, if you assassinate a cloven Where's it going to go? Because it's not going to go to Hades. Well, I guess it could. I mean, I guess I'm reading into the text. I guess that... I guess that... Well... I'm not finished. I'm not finished, so don't interrupt your dad. It could be that they're just not mentioned here. I mean, Jesus went to uh, Hades, and he just preached to the human spirits, and the demons were there. I, I guess you could say that. But... That's just something that's omitted from the text above our pay grade, maybe. I don't know. But it seems like to me the obviousness of this text is stating that the demons are not in Hades. And if this Assyrian false prophet does carry the genetics of a cloven, that being the case, he would not go to Hades if he was assassinated. So I'm just putting that there on the table. Aaron, back to you. I'm sorry about that. Um, um, but with your mention about the spirits, uh, what would happen to demons if they were to go into the underworld? And, um, well, this goes back to what Christ, uh, the incident in Luke chapter 8, 8 about the legion of demons which encountered Christ. And it says that those demons... Um, in verse 31, it says, They besought him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Okay, stop the bus. How did I miss that? Brian, how did I miss that? Jesus just literally come told you that the demons would not go to Hades. The demons come right out and said, Don't send us to the abyss. How did I miss that, Brian? I, I was thinking it the whole time, so um, some clarity was brought into it, I guess. 
Oh, that's just great. We're just we're doing over a lot here, so so you just allowed me to publicly stick my foot square into my mouth. That's classic, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, <clears throat> that's classic. I, I also want to mention which something about this verse that sent me that was also in Daniel chapter eleven. Now, which verse, son? That would be. Um, here I'm looking through my notes. Verse 40. The king of the north will come towards the king of the south like a whirlwind. That word in um, for whirlwind is uh, Yishathar. <laughs> and um, it's only meant it's only um, in the Old Testament once. But it's but it is in the New Testament three times. And all of these are in this incident about the legion of demons being cast down. The struggle with that is is that the Strong's number doesn't really match the word. Um, I'll start with Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. It says, At the end of time, uh, at the end time, the king of the south will collide with him literally butt his horns with him. Just consider that. That's what it says in the Hebrew. Butt his horns with him. And then king of the north will storm against him. Come like a whirlwind against him. And that word, um, as I mentioned, was Yishathar. But the Strong's Concordance keys this to um, H8, um, 8175 to Sa'ar, and there's not a Tav in that in that Strong's number like there is present here. So I'm just clarifying that. Okay. And the other three verses. Matthew chapter 8, verse 32. Mark, verse 5, 13. Luke 8, 33. And he said, go. And the well, I'll start with 31. In, um, Matthew chapter 8, verse 31. It says, The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you cast us out, send us out into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go! And they came out and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished into the waters. Mark verse 5, verse 13. It says, Jesus gave them permission and went went out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herds rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they drowned in the sea. Luke verse 8, verse 33. The demons came out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. That word, Delich, who translated the New Testament into Hebrew, used that word, Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. He used it here for when the herd rushed down the steep bank and were drowned. Brian, your thoughts? I'm looking right at it. I mean, this is this is two indicators that we've got something fully supernatural taking place here because Daniel 11, verse 40 is one of those very interesting little verses, and I've seen people try to rationalize this in commentaries to try to make it state something it's not saying. 
Um, because this is the only time that you've got the king of the south is colliding with him. Well, who's him? We would have to assume the Assyrian. The king of the north will storm against who? Him. With chariots, with horsemen, and many ships. And he will enter countries, overflow them, and pass through, is how the NASB has got this translated. And that, yeah, I'm looking at that specific word right here in the Hebrew, and that's where it comes up. The only other uh, uses of that Hebrew word is Mark 5.13 and Luke 8, verse 33. Okay, so are we ready to progress to the next verse in the translation? Daniel 11, chapter 31. Aaron, are we ready to go there, or do you have more commentary on what has already been stated? Yeah, with the, um, that the arms will stand on his part, um, being the, um, angels, uh, of Azazel, and they will, with him, pollute the holy place of Maons, and will take away the daily sacrifice, and they will place the abomination that makes desolate. Um, so, the real thing we want to get towards is that holy place of Maons, um, because, Throughout that chapter, the word maos is used over and over and over again. And basically, the king of the north and the king of the south are fighting over it. This maos. And it usually translated as a stronghold or a fortress. But it literally um, bears the word as, which is from which the name Azazel also bears its root. Okay, so... um with with all this being said, and this can this verse really direct points directly towards Azazel when um the when the Assyrian comes up out of the um abyss resurrected, he will bring these forces with him and at that time they will take Azazel, put him in the holy place in their sanctuary, and make him the abomination that makes desolate. Well, mute your mic. Let me get my commentary. We're going to switch gears here to celestial somology. I have done much work on this. This is the name of the celestial scapegoat. This is actually a orbital object. Brian and I have done much commentary. This is the fifth gas giant proved by beneath model mathematics is what it is. What this verse is literally saying here is that they cause the orbit of Miraz to become confounded. They change its orbital path. We've got done much commentary. Uh, you can take a look at this verse in the Greek, and it comes right out and tells you parallax is what is confused. And the daily sacrifice here is the viewing, the sighting of the evening and morning stars done at the time of the evening and morning daily sacrifices. From the evening to the morning, the celestial signs, it would become more and more apparent that the planets were not in their proper orbits. This being the case, I mean, if you want to look into all the work that Brian and I have done about that, 
go ahead and do so because we've we've made that emphatic proof beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is the reason why uh, that you can find this in multiple places. Uh, you can even find it on Blue Letter Bible that everyone thought that Antiochus Epiphanes was worshiping a group of deities called the Moazim. This ties directly back into Judges, the fifth chapter. And the reason why, in the middle of Moaz, this word, there is a Rosh. That Rosh means head, prince. So, literally, you're talking about the celestial scapegoat. So, when we put that into this covenant, take note that the Holy Covenant would be, well, even planet Earth. Our Holy Covenant and our daily sacrifice is each individual day we progress on our orbital path as we have been ordered to do so. What that means is, is that we uh, maintain our celestial dynamics with our parent star, which is soul. That's what our star is called. That's its name is soul. This is saying that if any object in the heavens comes out of its orbit, it violates the covenant of the evening and morning sacrifice. That is exactly what is going to happen. And unfortunately, in more ways than one, you can check NASA's mathematics on Jupiter's Grand Tech, and you can check the mathematics on the fifth gas giant Nice model. You will not like the conclusions that it brings you to. The only thing that you must throw in the garbage is their time frames. Because it didn't take the Lord God of Heaven a billion years to make anything. If he wanted to make it in 144 hours, he'd do it. If he wanted to do the whole kit and caboodle in 144 seconds, that's what he would have done. However, he elected to do it in 144 hours i.e. six consecutive days. So, that's my thoughts on this verse. Brian, your thoughts? Well, that's precisely where it comes in, and I mean, even this is one we've spoken of as well concerning his seed, because in, you know, a lot of your English translations, you'll get forces from him will arise, which you're getting... Um, the Hebrew obviously here is where you get that word arm as um, Aaron is translating it and some of the other ones use the same thing and if you go over to for instance the Charles Thompson has it as seed from him will arise and then of course we've got the Bretons that's got and seed shall spring up out of him as well so so what you're saying is is you're triple reinforcing the simple fact we're dealing with the cloven and that's why they would be in the abyss a and b unfortunately when the abysses open up that's how he's given a league with them these entities because they are in fact cloven they have uh, how can we speak biblically and say that they have uh, corrupted seed they have uh, corrupted genetics is that what your stance is? Just just for clarification there. 
Well, yeah, something definitely is happening here. You know, and you even, it just begins to make you wonder. You've got two references as well to the only thing that seems to be able to move against him in these earlier times here is you've got two different references as well to demonic entities. So this really, all of it just begins to make your head spin after a while here. Yeah, that's that's what my head's doing. It's uh, definitely spinning. So Aaron, back to you, your commentary on the simple fact that uh, we may be able to immediately implement celestial somology and get the astronomical mathematics as to why this is exactly going to take place. Your comments, son. Well, with that word maos, okay, um, as I mentioned before, in chapter 11, basically the king of the north and the south are fighting over it. That's basically the thing that um, they're constantly battling over. That's That was the main thing, and I, and I want to bring that verse up for us. Um, Daniel 11, verse 31. Um, so, here I'll bring up that word males and it comes around plenty of times in that chapter and I'll just um, read them out for you guys even though you all have probably looked at this a thousand times but uh, as I'm looking here I'm, I'm just going to put out there that the that um, it is turned into plural malezim um, Azazel is called in um in the next verse, in um, Daniel chapter, uh, help me, <laughs> we know that he is called the God of the Maazim. Um So that's turned into plural. But um, the first mention of it is in Daniel chapter 11, verse 1. Okay? This is where it talks about Gabriel... In the first year of Darius the Mede, Gabriel stood to confirm and strengthen Maoz, Darius, literally. Okay, so this is the first mention in Daniel chapter 11, verse 1. Gabriel is strengthening Darius the Mede. Okay, and I'm just giving the facts directly there. The next verse mentioning it is um, verse 7. And in the end of the years, they shall conjoin themselves together. For the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north and make an agreement. But she will not retain the power of arm, nor stand, nor his arm. Nor shall he stand, nor his arm, but shall be given up. And they that begat her, he, and they that brought her, he that begat her, and he that strengthened her in those times and on the verse 7 I was reading the wrong one but out of the branch of her roots shall come up in his one in his estate which shall come with an army and shall enter into the fortress Maoz of the king of the north and shall deal against them and prevail okay so here the king of the south rises up goes against the king of the north takes it defeats 
the king of the north, and takes his maos. Okay? Um, then it goes to verse 19, and she, um, and there shall stand up his, in the estate, a razor of taxes. Um, uh, verse 19, sorry. Then he shall turn his face toward the fort, maos, of his own land, but shall stumble and fall. So, um, basically, throughout this chapter, the king of the north has his maos. The king of the south takes it at one point. The king of the north ends up having to fight to regain it. And basically, the maos stays the same. It's just both of those kings are constantly fighting over it. So, What's open to discussion here is, you mentioned if if this is talking about the celestial scapegoat, why are they fighting over it? Okay, mute your mic and I'll tell you, all right? Uh, I'm going to read right here from, uh, well, the Hebrew Chaldee lexicon. Daniel 11.38, God of Fortresses. Used of some Syrian deity, obtruded on by Jews, by Antiochus Epiphanes, perhaps Mars. This entirely turns on the question whether the prophecy relates really to Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, let us turn to the Bible, God's Holy Word, of course, for answers here. A verse that all of you have uh, heard Brian and I refer to many times. This is really going to happen. Okay, this is not fiction. Daniel, or Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 1. At that time, saith the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah, and the bones of the princes, and the bones of the priests, and the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. And they shall spread them before the sun, the moon, and all the host of heaven, whom they have loved, whom they have served, and after whom they have walked, and after whom they have sought, after whom they have worshipped, they shall not be gathered nor buried, they shall be dung upon the face of the earth. Brian, I've told you many times, this is really going to happen. And if you think this is not why the image of the beast is created, you may be a little short-sighted. Indeed. This could very well be an idol, ladies and gentlemen, a literal idol. That this is the whole reason why this idol is able to become figuratively, if not prophetically, Aaron, a golem. Now look, ladies and gentlemen, we very well could be looking at a literal idol that's being fought over presently. It is rumored that this golem is in the attic of the synagogue at Prague. However, that does not mean this is the particular one. What I'm saying is that we have no idea what the ungodly do, even at this bohemian grove that our own elected officials go to. I think on a yearly basis, if I remember uh, Brian... Uh, whenever he explained it to me, what what was going on there, with, of course, who? Yes, Bubo. 
ladies and gentlemen, this could literally be an idol of the scapegoat. They are fighting over it. This is why, in a great fit of rage, as Aaron has made this translation, the whole reason why he takes this particular statue and makes a golem out of it, breathes the breath of life into it. Do I need to remind everybody? And, and I may. I mean, we may have some uh, Baptist here, some Presbyterian, some, you know, that's got the standard run-of-the-mill explanation of things. But let's read it, okay? Let's just come to grips with everything that is stated here. All right? I mean, let's let's just let's just do what we do. Okay? Let's just do what we do. <sighs> Revelation chapter 13 verse 11 once again. KJV and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and all which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in full sight of men. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by those miracles which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image of the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in the right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the number of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 603 score and 6. Ladies and gentlemen, is this the whole reason why this image becomes so popular? Does this north and south host, are they warring over this idol? That whoever possesses this particular idol is granted dispensation. And I mean at present moment. Are they fighting over this image? And this is the reason why the Assyrian false prophet breathes life into it and it becomes a golem. Brian, your thoughts? One of those spots I don't even know how to uh, quantify my thoughts right now. I mean, you know, there's several discussions we've had on the possibility of this uh, being a piece of the celestial scapegoat itself, uh, a stone from that planet, which takes us in multiple directions. And, I mean, to a degree it takes it in multiple directions. It's got me 
wondering about some things we discussed here previously tonight. Aaron brought up uh, Daniel 11 verse, what is it, uh, 11 verse 6, which obviously is commonly associated with uh, Bernice, but I did something different. I took this to the next time around the ride. And this will bring you to one very specific woman that I'm not really going to mention too much about it right now, but I am going to mention this. If this Amir that we brought up previously, if this same person indeed may have any association to the Assyrian false prophet and they assassinated him, and all of a sudden he comes back to life, this is going to cause an uproar in the Islamic world. They would possibly think that one of their missing imams has come back, and this has everything to do with that woman mentioned in Daniel 11, verse 6. So this is where my mind's sitting, and I'm wanting to tread carefully at this point in time not to say too much on the topic. Well, Brian, I wonder if you could get the genetics of Atagope. I'll just I'll just leave that there. Um I'll just leave that right there. Uh as may I speak? Yes, son, you, you definitely may speak while Brian and I gauge the situation. Go ahead. Okay, so you mentioned if this could be an idol that's being fought over. Well, we go to 11 verse 8, and we go, and it says, Also, their gods and their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold he will take into captivity to Egypt, and on his part he will refrain from attacking the king of the north for some years. So, this is when the king of the south takes the Maoz. And so, here he takes the idol back to Egypt. So, um... Yes, and we're deadpan with what Rachel did when she sat on her idol. So this drags into the equation, the timing of this event, very possibly being in the midst of the Moshiim being in the Matrix. But like I said, we, you know... I didn't mention that verse for a reason. I, I, I thought that I needed to hesitate and take pause as I just stated that Brian and I needed to gauge the situation of the ramifications of this because we're we're recording this. We haven't had to check. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I just sent Brian a text. And uh, the text was, well, here, I'll read it to you as a matter of fact. Um so I don't misquote myself. Um, I sent Brian a text to WI2C Radio or PE. And, oh, that's in reference to pushing the envelope. And uh, Brian responded. We hashed it out. And then I sent him a document. And then we saddled up and we rode. So perhaps that was a miscalculation. But everything is beautiful in its time. And of that I have no doubt. And just because I've been caught unawares, it's irrelevant to me. I don't care. And if I make mistakes, make no mistake about it. I will correct them. So I was hesitant to mention that that's exactly what 
Daniel chapter 11 says. And then the woman gets drugged into this, the genetics of the woman. Uh, if it's proven uh, that this individual uh, happens to be an imam, and later it's proven that she has the genetics of Adagope, where are we at? I'll tell you where we're at. We're in a whirlwind of hurt. That's where we're at. Because whether I like it or not, I didn't expect Aaron to find that word for whirlwind where he did. And it just made me wince. I know it made Brian wince, but I don't know what to do. If it's a beautiful time for me to stick my foot in my mouth, make no mistakes about it. The Lord my God don't have to force me. I will place it in there squarely, purely, voluntarily. Not, not a problem. So I'm not sure... I'm not sure what to state now that Aaron has brought up Daniel chapter 11, verse 8, compiled with the reference to the woman, compiled with the simple fact that I probably shouldn't have mentioned prophetically this is the reason why Rachel sat on that idol, uh, the whole ramification of, well, whether we like it or not. The Lord Jesus Christ definitely wanted you to have a heads up because he definitely said this. The one verse that confuses everybody. No commentators. I mean, they all just literally just trip over themselves. Their tongues get tied over the prophetic chapter involved. But you can take this to the bank. Woe be unto pregnant women and nursing mothers. You can take it to the bank. And is this the re whole reason why the Assyrian false prophet breathes the breath of life into this image? They had been fighting over it. Is this a piece of Moaz? As Brian stated, when you look at this object, does it look like there's a 666 written on it? And they place it on the head of this image? I don't know. And to be honest with you, I wish I didn't know. You want to know why? Because it don't matter to me. Because I am going to be taken to a place that's been prepared for me by he who sitteth upon the throne. I mean, I really don't. I mean, I'm just happy not knowing anything. Actually, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just tickled pink to be just like the children of Israel. As they were being straightened, they had no idea what was going on in Egypt as they were obviously being invaded and raped and ripped open because they just lost their army. I mean, duh. And I'm just happy not to know what's going to happen out in the outer darkness. But unfortunately, uh, the Lord my God chose to give us revelation. I, the Bri, and my son just have to swallow it. We have to sit down, we have to look at it, and we have to come to grips with what it's saying, because there's a very high probability it's never going to say what you like. I mean, who wouldn't want to steal, right? You get something for nothing, correct? So, of course, the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. Let's go on down the line, right? So, I mean, there's a high probability that whatever the Bible says, you're not going to like it. It's what we're commanded to do. So, Aaron, do you have further commentary to offer, or shall we put forth our closing comments? That is entirely up to you, son. 
Well, to draw it uh, to an end, I mean, um, I decided to uh, add on to the end of my end of this, the verse 32. Um, and it says, I'm actually going to go with that in the um, Septuagint version because um, I failed to translate that correctly. So, um, I will read that from uh, the Bretons. And the the transgressors shall bring about a covenant by deceitful ways, but the people knowing their God will prevail and do valiantly. And um, I'm just thinking that the transgressors um, bringing about this covenant, what if this covenant is the mark of the beast? And the ones who uh, know their God will prevail and act, these are the ones who will not take the mark and will face the consequences here among the ungodly. So you're inferring here that Britain's usage of the word valiantly at the end of verse 32 is a direct reference to Primus Resurrectorate. Those who are sealed by God, and by default, they can't even take the mark of the beast if they wanted to, literally, after God sealed them. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to state the obvious. I have no commentary. Um, I have no way to process that. So you're saying that the bad guys, they make a covenant, and they're all going to take this mark 666. And that's the whole reason why the public is forced to take it, because they have used this covenant amongst themselves. So this is like a secret society. I I mean, everybody knows that, uh, well, many of them use tattoos, but we know like, uh, oh, the most popular one is like the uh, Masonic ring. These people will wear around this ring if they're Masons. And once they realize they've taken over the whole kit and caboodle and the host of heaven and the resurrected demons are supporting them, they realize they have full power. So they make the whole planet, uh, well, wear this mason ring or or this uh, gang banger tattoo. Uh, Brian, your <laughs> your thoughts on that, Brian? And and please offer us a little bit of your private commentary. Are there secret societies or, or different evil groups like um, you know witches or perhaps the satanic church? Do they do these individual groups because there's so many of them? Do they mark themselves uh, so they can identify each other? Uh, like you know they have a tattoo on their their belly, this say, and so that they know each other. They raise up their shirt and show the tattoo. Is that in use today, or has it been used in the past? Uh, your commentary, please. It would not be outside the realm of possibility. I mean, not that I had seen any of that around what I've personally been around, but nonetheless, it would not strike me as being something that uh, they would do. So, I mean, it's odd that you're bringing that up when I'm looking into something at the very moment that, in a strange way, ties into this, and I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. So, 
Well, then please share with what you're looking at because I'm going to get up and go get a cup of coffee and you're in charge till I get back because, look, my foot is in my mouth. Uh, so I at least need some coffee. So you got the mic. Uh, give it to him like I always do, Brian. Point blank range, square in the chest. Well, this ties into verse 8 and Daniel 11. Um Yes, he shall carry with the body of captives into Egypt their gods and their molten images and all their precious vessels of silver and gold, and he shall last longer than the king of the north. Now, in this next time around the ride, the fulfillment of that ends up being a uh, group out of Egypt ends up storming into, uh, I believe it's Morocco. I don't recall the exact uh, specific spot. It was in the conquest of Iberia, and it's one of the few recorded uh, spots where it states flat out they came in there and took all their treasures. Now, what is really interesting is what they found there, um, at least what's relayed through the um, historical manuscripts, is they took Solomon's golden table. And... This is claimed to be a large golden table that was made by um, Solomon. And there's, you know, this comes up, like I said, in historical documentation concerning this. And it's really strange, though, when you, because right now, if you try to put King Solomon's table in, well, somebody just wrote a book um, on Jewish uh, food cuisines. And, of course, that's about 90% of what's coming up in the uh search uh, references, so it's a little hard to find much on it. Um, but one of the things where it comes up is the Seal of Solomon. And it has on there on which the uh, table of Solomon was engraved with one of these seals. And this seal goes back to um, the apocryphal text. Um, oh, what in the world is that called again? Um Testament of Solomon? Yeah, that's what it is. Um, the Testament of Solomon. Yep, and here it is right here, sitting right in broad daylight, which many have wondered if um, there's some reference to that concerning um, in the Gospels, where there's a specific um, reference to one that is greater than Solomon is here. Many have speculated that that has something to do with this Testament of Solomon, and we really don't know um, how... Um, much of a resemblance there is with the specific document or if even there was that specific document of Solomon's. But when you find this tale of, table of Solomon coming up twice in a reference to this, and especially when it's locked into this Testament of Solomon, boy, oh boy, does this get you starting to wonder because you're, you're back in the same ballpark again. Well, I, I just want to put out there, you're talking about this table. And that takes me da back to Daniel chapter 11. You know what I'm talking about? That uh, they will speak lies at the same table? Yep. Which that one I actually found a close, uh, very close um, fulfillment of, which happened when um, the last Assad, not this current leader in Syria, and uh, the king of Egypt, which was, uh, what was it, Amor Sadat at that point in time, they sat down and decided to speak lies to one another at the same table so that um, Sadat was able to get the um, uh, current peace treaty 
into motion, and he literally sat there at that same table and misled uh, Assad at that point in time, and the King of Jordan was sitting there as well, and he's like, yeah, I'm not having anything to do with this, and roared off and immediately reported it to the leaders of Israel. So I just uh, that is an interesting correlation, because if they have that table in their possession, that <laughs> makes you wonder. Well, um, this um, table and um, the forces of darkness, um, it's just very interesting stuff. I mean, I know in Corinthians chapter 1 verse, I mean, 1 Corinthians 10 verses, verse 21, it says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake the table of the Lord with the table of demons. Uh, gentlemen, I am back. Well, gentleman and child, I guess. Uh, why did you just mention that verse about the Lord's table? Did I just walk into another whirlwind? Aaron? Yeah, um, Brian was bringing up the table of Solomon inscribed with his Solomon's uh, legendary ring. He just brought up the testament of Solomon and the relationship with um, archaeological, well, historical studies on it. Yeah, historical documentation from Daniel... 11 verse 8, the second time around the ride with the work I've been doing. Um, I told you about the spot where Egypt's army invaded the north and they came back with all basically all of their, well, booty is obviously the word that is most known for this, but they came back. One of the items that they claimed that they took was Solomon's table. And this goes into two very strange directions, one of which is going to... Um, bringing you right back to the Testament of Solomon, the apocryphal text. We haven't spoken about this publicly yet, Brian. And nope. uh, you're saying you spilled the beans here on this broadcast. Yeah, well, I mean, it goes part and parcel with the work I've already done coinciding this time around the ride with Daniel 11. So, Well, even Josephus talks about um, Solomon's ring. And that's, I mean, that's, I don't think... Solomon's signet ring is ever directly mentioned in the um in the Bible, but um it is it is um often mentioned in the Testament of Solomon wherein it is said that God gave Solomon uh, a ring by which he was able to subdue demonic spirits. And as I did a uh um another broadcast with my dad about um uh, King Solomon, uh, the exorcist, and the demon Asmodeus. We we touched on the relationship with with those um, with those legends and uh, the Bible. So um, with this signet ring, this isn't just apocryphal stuff. Even the um, Josephus talked about it in his um, Antiquities of the Jews. Uh, that signet ring as being able to subdue demonic entities. And you're saying that this seal, the seal of Solomon, which... Yeah, I just put two links I, in the chat if you want to take a look. I am. I, I can see the mathematics of that diagram. I, um, 
you're saying that 666 is encoded into the seal. Am I correct in what you two are discoursing about? Is that what you're inferring? Well, no idea about 666 being inscribed into that. I've never looked into that realm of possibility, so... Well, but it is an interesting note. Well, gentlemen, you have to look at this mathematically. You have to be able to... I'm not saying that it's inscribed there, the number 666. I'm saying it's in the... Ge <sighs> Geometry yeah. is a physical science, gentlemen. Geometry is a science. I'm not speaking about anything mystical. I'm talking about straight up the mathematical discipline of geometry. And I'm looking at it, and I'm not going to offer commentary on it. If we're going to do commentary on that, that'll be a later date. I'm just surprised that you all decided to drop these two thermonuclear weapons all in the time I went to go get coffee. Um, that is at least comical. Um, so I'm really wanting to be hesitant now looking at the seal. Um, well, uh, gentlemen, uh, continue on. Um, you may finish this thought, or if it's time for closing comments, may it be so. It must be a beautiful time to do so. Um, but i got to make sure that I didn't cut off Brian with these thoughts. So, so Brian, you was through with that discussion, or you had more to add with this uh, behind-the-scenes research about when time seems to be inverted? And you and I discussed that privately, and you asked me a question if I could see in time where the cherubim's marching orders, the craftsmen, I mean, let us be plain, the craftsmen's orders would have been inverted. Did you share any of the celestial symbology on that? No, not at all. That's something we're still working through. Um, because, I mean, we to explain fast what he's referring to, we have a specific pattern that's happening this time around. The ride that there's been on the nines, there's a 10-year pattern that perfectly emulates the four riders. And this time around, something changed because you have in the book of Zechariah, you have death and Hades. Well, they go fleeing south. And this has been the only time that all of the major events that have played out over the course of this last, uh, well, we're moving into this 40-year period um, coming up on 2019, but everything finds its root going right back to Egypt, and it's a major thread, so it's not something we'll talk too much about. All right, well, what year is this that I was looking at? Uh, go ahead and share that year that seems th seems thing to have been inverted. Are you referring to 1979? Yes, I wanted you to say it, so we're not leaving anybody in the dark. Uh, it's 1979. Uh, for some reason... Uh, the marching orders were changed, and I'm not going to share with you what I found using celestial somology as to why that might have been the case, if it's physically possible. Remember, when Brian and I find something that the Bible talks about, it, it's really real. That's one of the folds of truth God uses. He'll give it to you in the heavens. He promised that in the first chapter, by the way. 
So Brian asked me about this date. He said something's wrong because why would Death and Hades go south? That That's not their modus operandi. So, I, you know, I don't have a problem with it. Brian can say that. I don't care. Uh, let me prove it. Well, I pulled up the data and looked at it, and I offered him my answer, and I'm not going to give that answer right now. Um, we've already been on this for well over an hour. We should have limited it to an hour, and we're well past that, so... Uh, this ring of uh, the seal of Solomon uh, and uh, the reason why these marching orders would have been inverted in the heavens and I would have seen it if I'd have been looking. Uh, but just take note, um, the date that Brian mentioned, I had yet to even peer through a advanced telescope. So it would have been a little impossible for me at that age to have viewed the event in question. So with that being the case, uh, Aaron, comments, please? Well, it was definitely a an interesting study. It was pretty awesome. Uh, talking it out, I mean, <laughs> I was um, doing all my notes. Um, I started to think how many pages I wrote in my notebook on this doing inline study and just got on that one chapter and just got it done today um yeah it was it was pretty interesting getting all that worked out with you guys um yeah god bless Aaron uh can you find those references in Josephus to this uh, seal uh so we can put together a future well part two to this uh, do you think that would be uh, worth doing? Um, I don't know if we could find the content. All right. Well, uh, there you have it. Uh, Brian, your closing thoughts, please. Well, I think there's a lot of interesting things here to mull over. I know um, definitely it's got me thinking in some directions I never uh, thought to look before. So with that said... uh. I bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as far as I'm concerned, we pushed the envelope right off the table. I was obviously not prepared, but that's okay. Um, it was a beautiful time to do it, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm ready, nor does it have to be. But my son's mic is obviously hot, so he has something he wishes to add. Aaron? Well, I, I just wanted to add before I go uh, that um, Brian mentioned the um, that this um, this he, this um, tell of the Assyrian, well, the possible Assyrian um, being beheaded. I would like to hear a little bit more on that um, in a future study. All right, very well. Um, well, son, that's. That's what Brian and I was made for. So, you know, if, if... And ladies and gentlemen, you need to know that again. I don't know how many times Brian and I have stated it. If you need knowledge, wisdom, understanding from any verse, just send us your questions and Brian and I will do it. We always have. 
sometimes it takes us a while to get to them. Sometimes it takes me uh, a while to put together an episode. And here lately, logistics have really played a hampering part. Uh, of course, I've been dying to have on uh, Keith Daly uh, do a roundtable with us. That has not been possible because he's been really tied up. And I'm going to tell everybody publicly now, you really need to continue to be in prayer for Keith. So logistics have been a major problem because, uh, well, Joe, uh, he works at night. And I work during the day, and, and the logistics is really been tough here lately, but that's okay. If you send us uh, your concerns or questions about a verse, it may take us, you know, several months even, but we will respond. We will offer a public answer to you to the best of our ability. Obviously, tonight, my abilities were, well, quite shortcoming. But that's all right. If today was a beautiful day, uh, a beautiful time uh, for this to be delivered, then so be it. So be it. Like I already stated, I don't care if I am proven to be right or wrong. And I never did. The only thing I care about is that the Lord my God be proven to be true. That's that's the only thing I care about. That's what comes out of his mouth, not what comes out of mine. I am doing the best I can with what he gave me. That's what Aaron has been doing with all of his notes, and that's what Brian's been doing. So, I don't know. It was just a beautiful time, and I wound up falling short. It happens. So, uh, with that in mind, we're obviously going to do a second episode on this seal and the possibility of the Assyrian false prophet being beheaded. Uh, he's obviously, if he has the genetics of a cloven, he's obviously going to be sent into the abyss. He is not going to go to Hades. So this all comes into play. What if that corpse is wearing Solomon's ring? Interesting indeed. Like I stated, ladies and gentlemen, we have pushed the envelope right off the table as far as I'm concerned. So we shall leave it with that. We usually share where you can find us, and we give out all of our websites. I'm just going to let that lie. I'm just going to let that go. We're just going to end this with us getting together and coming to a reckoning of what God said. Have you spent time speaking with one another about these things? Or have you been too worried about I don't even know what season it is. I don't even know if they're playing football or basketball, and, and I don't care, but it's obviously important to a lot of you, and I'm sure there's races going on, like, uh, uh, well, there's one in Daytona, there's one in Indianapolis. Uh, you know, it's, it's, My point is, what have you been spending your time speaking with fellow Christians about? If adjustments need to be made, you need to make them Right now, pushing the envelope, signing off.